couple of reminders for you is that next Sunday, we are having one uh, combined service. Uh, July 2nd will be just uh, at 1030, just one service. Um, my, myself and, uh, and Chris are going to be uh, on the road. We're going to be with, with family. I don't know. It'll be a family reunion or a family rebellion. I don't know. We'll see what that one's like for you. And, uh, but uh, 10.30, we'll, we'll be here. Daniel Silk will, will be preaching, and so I'm grateful for him stepping in, uh, allowing me to be able to get away. There will be uh, coffee and donuts at, at 10 o'clock, and then if, you're, uh, if you haven't OD'd on coffee and donuts, worship with us at 10.30. Uh, also, be, uh, be praying for VBS. Uh, it's coming up July 17th through the 21st. Uh, I'm really excited about that. We have a, a great program this year. Right in the middle of July, we're doing Operation Arctic. So I'm hoping just like mentally we can bring the temperature down. Uh, but we're doing something different this year that uh, I'm really excited about is that uh, many times at the end of VBS, there's kind of a, a party, uh, an outreach event at the end. Um, VBS, but we're doing it a little differently this year is that on Wednesday, July 12th, this is the, the Wednesday before VBS, we're going to be doing uh, a party on that night to kind of kick off VBS. This will be a, a great time for kids to bring friends and kind of help them get an idea what VBS is going to be like, an opportunity to reach out to our neighborhood and just have a, like a, a neighborhood party, but to, to preview uh, Vacation Bible School that week and then sign kids up uh, that night uh, for VBS. So that's happening on Wednesday, July 12th. As we come to this time uh, in God's word, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have said that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You have given us Jesus, the light of the world. And I want to ask you, that by your spirit, you would bring light to our eyes this morning. Light to our eyes to see the light of your word and, and the light of Jesus coming together. And that we would walk lives that reflect your glorious light to those around us. that we would further your mission in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can grab a Bible out of the chairs in front of you. You could follow along with us. We're going to be on page 978. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good 
and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to talk, excuse me, it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Right on cue. There's light. Thank you. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The silver chair is a story about a prince who becomes under an enchanted spell by a serpent who appears in the form of a beautiful woman. The, the nature of this enchantment is such that, that the prince doesn't know that he's under a spell, which is pretty much the worst spell of all, to be under a spell that you don't know you're under the spell of. And he's taken down into a world that is under uh, the earth, a world of darkness, a world of gloom. But this spell is, is not powerful enough to keep him enchanted all around the clock. There is a period of time in the middle of the night when the spell weakens. And because the spell weakens, this evil queen binds the prince in a chair. And he's bound in this, this chair so that he cannot escape. But then two children following the, the direction of uh, the great lion Aslan, find him in this chair. And as they find him in, in the middle of the night, he says, quick, I am sane now. Every night I am sane. If only I could get out of this enchanted chair, it would last. I should be a man again. But every night they bind me. And so every night my chance is gone. But you are not enemies. I am not your prisoner. Quick, cut my cords. There's this debate among the children about whether or not that they, they can trust what, what he says to them. And, and finally, they, they say, we have to do it. We have to free him despite what, what might happen. In the name of Aslan, they said, and began methodically cutting the cords. The instant the prisoner was free, he crossed the room in a single bound, seized his own sword, which had been taken from him and laid on the table and drew it. You first, he cried, and fell upon the silver chair. That must have been a good sword. The silver gave way before its edge like string. And in a moment, a few twisted fragments shining on the floor were all that was left. Lie there, vile engine of sorcery, he said, lest your mistress should ever use you for another victim. Then he turned and surveyed his rescuers, and the something wrong, whatever it was, had vanished from his face. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through, through this part that we just read this morning, 
is about revealing to us the enchanted nature of sin, the darkness of sin that, that casts its spell. It's cast its spell over unbelievers and it will also cast that same spell over those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ unless we pay attention to the nature of sin. That last week we looked at, at verses uh, three through seven where there's a very strong warning that those who walk in the world are gonna face the judgment that, that the world faces. It's, it's this strong warning to, to wake us up, to wake us up to our tendency to live in denial. Now, I don't know uh, about you, but, but if you're like me, I, I, when I get ex- very convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit. God puts his finger on, on some sin in my life and I say, yes, I, I want to be free of that. I want to walk away from that. And I, I make a strong conviction I'm not going to do that again. I don't know how many people uh, have found yourselves in that same situation only to fall right back in to the same sin that you just want to be free of. You find yourself again under the, the enchantment of sin. Maybe even sometimes the very same day that you make the commitment. And is there hope? Is there a hope that that we can actually defeat sin or are we going to be stuck in that cycle of uncertainty of under the enchantment of sin and wondering about our status before God? You see, so oftentimes we find ourselves in the middle of circumstances and we say, I don't, I don't want to be here. This is not the place that I want to be in. And what we need is not so much to be free of our circumstances, but to live a life of transformation. Not that things outside of us are going to determine our course. Not that we get Uh, our course is determined by our circumstances, but our course is going to be determined by the transformation that God desires to make in us. And what I want you to experience this morning is hope. I want you to experience the hope of Christ. That the transformation that God wants to bring into your life is to actually free you from the power of sin, that you would be free to walk in confidence in the power of God. And so I want us to look at this idea of transformation, the transformation that that the gospel actually brings. I want us to look at the radical nature of that transformation, the outward fruit of that transformation, and then finally, the resurrecting power of transformation. So first of all, the radical nature of transformation. In verse seven, Paul is urging believers not to be partners with unbelievers in sin. Look at that in verse seven. Do not become partners with them. Now there's a reason why we're not to be uh, partners with, with sin. There's not a reason why we're not supposed to share in the sin of an unbelieving world. And that's because there's been a radical change uh, in us. Verse eight, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is such a basic concept, but so many people miss it. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. Paul does not say, you were walking in darkness. 
Paul doesn't say you were living in darkness, but now you're living in light. No, it's much more radical than that. Paul says you were darkness, but now you are light. There's so many people that, that think that the problem with us, the, the problem with humanity is that, that we're good people that make bad choices. We're good people that wander into the darkness. We're good people that have lost our way. But the Bible is, is far more uh, stark than that. We are not good people making bad choices. We are bad people making bad choices. You were darkness. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that does good. There is none that seeks after God. That, that is the condition of humanity. What you need is, is not to redouble your efforts and say, I'm going to start living right. See, you can't do right unless you've been made right. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion in the world says, you want to get out of the mess you're in, follow these steps. You want to you have a, a good life, follow these steps, do these things, and then you can experience transformation. You take these steps and then you'll be transformed. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have been transformed. Now you are able to take these steps. The, the, the gospel is you are light. Now here's, here's the beauty uh, of light. That, that light, it's either on or it's off. You're either light or you're not. See, there can be varying degrees of light. But if you're light, that's who you are. You may, you may be here this morning and you may feel like, my light is dim. Or uh, my, there's more smoke than there is fire. You may feel like my, my candle is smoldering. The wick is bent over and there's barely any flame at all. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 20, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. You see, there is great hope for you. To be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be light. It doesn't matter how much smoke there is when there's that glimmer of flame, Jesus is not going to desert you. See, the, there has been a change in you. You are able, you are able now 
to get out of the situation that you're in, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. That to be a believer in Jesus Christ means that Jesus has made you light. You are light in the Lord. You belong to Jesus now, and he is the light of the world. Where where hope begins is not looking at yourself and and the smoke that is there. It begins by, by finding the light of Christ and your identity as light. That's where it begins. There's this radical change that's happened in you when you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are light. You want to experience transformation in your life, it begins with remembering your identity, the radical nature of your transformation. Secondly, there's the outward fruit of transformation. So because you have been transformed, because I've been transformed, this should work itself out. This must work itself out in, uh, in our destiny. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That your identity now determines your actions. See, we don't act in order to become. God has declared us to be light, and therefore we walk as light. There's a proactiveness to this. The way that that we avoid the enchantment of sin is to take positive action. There's there's three ways that we demonstrate that that we are children of light. The first way that we we take action is what we see here in verse 8 or verse 9, where it says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. How is it that that we are going to avoid the the enchantment of sin, escape the enchantment of sin? It's not simply by by looking at at ourselves uh, as light and stopping there. No, because we are light, now we we actually pursue certain things. Those things that are good, those things that are right, those things that are true. This is kind of the, the nature of light. Light is good. That the light it shows brilliance and it shows the brilliance of things. That when, when you, you turn the lights on, you're, you're able to see uh, how good things are in the room. When you, you light a fire, you're able to enjoy the warmth. And you know, there's just something about cooking over a campfire. It just it heightens the, the enjoyment of it. You can roast a marshmallow over the stove, but there's something about roasting the marshmallow over the campfire. You know, that, and, and then there's, there's, there's people that just love to work it so it's just got the nice golden brown and the gooeyness and it, and it just, when, when you can just get it off of the stick and it's just, you know, all gooey and, and warm, it's like, ah, that's perfect. And then there's others that just stick it in the fire. It's like, let it light on fire. and They love the burned marshmallow taste. But there is an enjoyment that, that is able to come from the goodness 
of the light. The, if we're going to escape from the enchantment of sin, we have, we have to pursue those things that are good. Light it shows the right way. You know, when you say Psalm 119, verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That when, when you're, you're walking in the dark, if you've got a flashlight, you can see the right way to go. If we're going to take action to, to escape the enchantment of sin, we have to just walk in the right way. Pursue what is right, not just wait passively for those things that, that are right to come. We have to walk in those things that are right. And then light is true. Light shows what is true and, and what is false. When, when you want to examine something to see if it's genuine, you, you hold it up to the light. That we should be examining life and, and looking for what is true. The, the, the next aspect of a positive action that we're to take there in verse 8, or in verse, uh, excuse me, we're in verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That because we are children of light, we now want to pursue what is it that's actually pleasing to our Father. We are His children. He is uh, our Father. He is the one who has given us life. We, get, we are light because of Him. So now, what is it that is pleasing to the Lord? You want to avoid the, the entrapment of sin. You want to be, avoid falling under the, uh, the spell of sin. Find out what's pleasing to the Lord. You know, the word here, it says, in verse uh, 10, when it says, try to discern. This is a, a word that is used, that's meant to interpret a situation. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he rebukes them because he says, you know how to interpret the weather, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. That there is a sense where Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you you don't understand what God is doing in your situation. What it means for us to try to to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, trying to, to please the Lord is saying, God, in this situation, what is it that pleases you? Taking God's word and, and lining up God's word with our lives and saying, okay, what does it mean to please God in the situation that I'm in? And then there's a third aspect. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. If we're going to avoid the enchantment of sin, we have to shine the light of God's word on sin so that we can see it for what it really is. Right here, we're, we're told this is the true nature of sin. It's unfruitful. What is the fruit of light? The fruit of light is good and right and true. That means that if it's unfruitful, it's bad, it's wrong, it's false. It's so helpful for us to draw clear, crisp lines if we're going to avoid the enchantment of sin to be able to say, okay, is this good, is this right, is this true? If it's not, it's unfruitful. 
Instead, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to expose these things. I think if you look back with me at, at verse 17, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. There is going to be a sense where when we do what is good and right and true, that the world around us is going to miss it. We're going to shine the light of, of Christ on a situation, and, and the world's going to miss it because they're darkened in their understanding. They're going to they're miss it. But what's going to happen is that when we shine the light of what's good and right and true on a situation, we expose sin for what it is, and it loses its hold on us. This is the, the point of, of, we're not after, how can we expose people? How can we expose the unfruitfulness of this world? Because if we are, when you are able to expose the unfruitfulness of sin, it loses its hold on you. So this is the, the outward fruit of transformation. Living out your identity as light by taking proactive action. Pursuing what's good and right and true. Living life, pursuing what pleases God in light of his word. Now, where, how is it that you're actually going to be able to do this? How is it that I'm going to be able to do this? Because it's one thing to be able to hear, yes, I'm light. Yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then, how do you carry it out? This is why we need this third part, the resurrecting power of transformation. The resurrecting power of transformation. Verse 12 says, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There, there, there's a logic here that, that we're going to follow if we're going to tap into this power, but it all rests on what is said here in verse 14. In verse 14, at the end of it, it, it says, therefore it says. So this is the foundation that everything rests on. And it's a quote. Paul is, is quoting here the Old Testament. When it says, it says, he's quoting scripture. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As I was studying uh, commentaries this week, I said, okay, wh- what Old Testament scripture is it? There's not a single Old Testament verse that, that's being quoted here. What Paul is most likely doing is he is taking a couple of different places in Isaiah and putting them together to make this quotation. What Paul is doing is he's saying, this is what God is doing in scripture. Isaiah is about God speaking a word of hope to his people, saying, I am going to rescue you. I am going to bring you your Messiah, Jesus. And so that's the the message in Isaiah, and this is where this truth is coming from. Now notice there's, there's two parts to it. There is the call of God, and then there's the promise of God. The call of God here is, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. So, The person who's sleeping is the person who's dead. There's not two different people here. 
So if somebody is dead, can they respond to a call? No. If you're dead, you can't do anything. If you're dead, you don't even know you're dead. That's the worst part of it. But this is what's called the effective call of God. It's where God issues a command and he actually accomplishes the thing he commands. Jesus was outside of the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And what does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. Now, Lazarus was not lying around in the tomb saying, I wish Jesus would just come by and let me out of this place. It really stinks being dead. I can't move. I'm all bound up here. Won't somebody come and let me free? No, he's dead. But Jesus comes and he calls to him. He says, come out. And in calling Lazarus to come out, Jesus actually accomplishes the thing he commands. He gives Lazarus life and he's the one then that summons the the living Lazarus out of the tomb. So that's what's, what's happening here is that, that God, the power for transformation is responding to the effective call of God in your life. And then there's a promise. The promise is Christ will shine on you. There is the experience of, of the brilliant presence of Christ that is found in all those who respond to the call of God. So what's being offered here, what is being offered here is to experience the brilliance of Christ on you if you'll respond to the call of God. God's call of resurrecting death and making it alive. Now, this has happened to all who are believers in Jesus. Remember, you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. You were dead, now you're alive. But what is sin? Sin is death. Sin is darkness. So we're going to see how this promise, how this call of God and this promise of God are applied to the enchantments of sin in our lives. Go back to verse 12 and we're going to work this out. It says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. There's a secret nature to sin. This is the, the, the principle that Paul is going after is, is that there is a, a secretness to sin that, that we don't want to talk about. That there is something going on in every one of our hearts, my heart included, and I don't want people to see it. And that is really what drives sin in our lives. It's that secretness. If you saw this, I'd be ashamed. And how is that broken? Look with me at verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. If the stuff that's in secret gets held up to the light, it's seen for what it really is. We are told that the light of Christ will shine on those who respond to the call of God. If you will take that secretness in your life and you are willing to to lay it out before God, you're willing to bring it to the light of Christ, the promise is that You will see it for what it really is. 
Now, now this happens when we just expose our lives to the light of God's word. This week, I was in my Bible reading, and amazingly enough, I'm reading along, and God points his finger on something. He says, you know, there's some people that you're not loving. That really took me back. What? Yes, there's people in my life that I'm not showing love to. Now, that's not something that, that I want to admit. You know what happened is when I didn't rush past that verse, when I paused and I brought that out into the light of Christ, spent time just writing that in my journal, bringing it out to the light of Christ, something happened. What happened was verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. There was a transformation that happened in that moment in my life. That God started to work the love that I lacked. See, this is the way that Christ's light works. It's a miracle. It's his resurrecting power that when we expose our sin to him, when we bring it out and we don't keep it secret anymore, we bring it to his light, anger becomes love. Greed becomes generosity. Pride becomes humility. That's not the way the world works. How is this transformation possible? It's it's because this is who Jesus is. He was the light of the world who went to the cross and took our sin on himself. Who took the darkness of this world on himself to such a degree that the world became dark. Darkness covered the land for three hours right before Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then on the third day, Jesus arose from the dead. He had defeated death. He had defeated sin. And that victory can be yours as well. This is how Jesus is able to not simply wash away sin, to transform it. To not simply forgive you, but to transform you. To not simply tell you, I don't hold your sin against you anymore. To tell you, I have come to free you from the enchantment of sin. This is the power of Christ and his promise. You see, just as this prince was able to be freed from the spell by calling out for help in that moment of sanity when he remembered who he was 
And then he took action to crush the chair when he'd been freed. You too have been given in Christ that moment of clarity that you are light, that positive action that you're to take, and the power from Christ himself that sin can be broken. This is, this may be a, an hourly process, a daily process. It, it, it's the rest of our lives. But God doesn't turn his back on his children because you are not darkness anymore. You are light. If you're here this morning and you have have not experienced that transformation for yourself, I, I want to invite you at the conclusion of the service uh, to come down. I, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to, to introduce you to the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you want to be free of this enchantment of sin that that keeps enslaving you. Remember again your identity. Again this morning, come to God as his child. Remember that you're light. Take positive action in in walking that out and trust in the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray this morning for my brothers and sisters, my friends who are here. God, I I thank you that the power of darkness was broken at the cross. Now, by the power of your spirit, may we walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. And as we sing this song, um, maybe someone will come to mind, uh, someone in your life or a situation that just needs an infusion of hope. Um, So let's not just let this moment pass us by and just sing this song and know that was cool. Uh, but consider um, someone who might need a word or uh, some, some form of hope uh, from you.